Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome back to the Kennedy Dynasty Podcast. I'm your host, Allison, and today I have an awesome conversation that I can't wait to share with you guys. But first, I wanted to let you know that if you follow me on Instagram, you already know this, but if you don't, you should be. It's at Kennedy Dynasty on Instagram because there's fun stuff that goes on over there. But I announced a few days ago that Dr. Natalia Molina, who you've heard from before on this podcast, she and I are teaming up to recap Jackie and Me, which is a novel by Lewis Bayard, like book club style, at the beginning of August, and would love for anybody that wants to, to join in on the fun and read it along with us to be ready for when we discuss it on the podcast. So I will link the book to purchase in the description of this episode. Click it, get it, it's going to be great. Now, let's get to the episode. This week, I was honored to speak with Linda Jane Holden. Linda is the garden historian and author behind the books President's Gardens and The Gardens of Bunny Mellon. She also worked at the White House during the Reagan administration, where she learned of Bunny Mellon and her contributions to landscape design. Linda's writings are based on extensive interviews with Mrs. Mellon and gardeners at Oak Spring and other Mellon family properties, and she is just absolutely wonderful. So here is our conversation. Hope you enjoy it. Here I am joined by the author of The Gardens of Bunny Mellon, Linda Jane Holden. Linda, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Allison. I'm so delighted to finally meet you and, and have this sit-down chit-chat. So am I. I am thrilled about it. Before we get started, though, can you just tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Okay. I am a writer, the, the writer behind the, the Bunny Mellon books. There's a, quite a few of them now. Um, they've been really well-received. I'm grateful for I'm a former educator. I'm a mom and I'm a grandmother. As far as things I love to read, I love to be outside. I love nature and gardening and history, politics, all of that. I love it all. So That's fantastic. I love it. And also, I'm going to mention, you did work in the White House, didn't you? I did. I worked in the Reagan White House. I should add, I was very privileged to work in the Reagan White House. Absolutely. Was- what an experience that had to have been. Oh, uh, yeah. It will be with me all my life. He was an extraordinary man, and I was fortunate to work in the West Wing. Wow. So I was right near nearby him and so saw him every day and it was wonderful. What did you do there? And like, did that inspire any of your projects or anything? It was actually inspired everything. Um, I went to work there because ever since I was like the age of your daughters, I loved history and the White House. I had this fascination for the White House, but mostly from the perspective of the with the family being there and the work and what went on it and the history, that sort of thing I loved. And so I did get, after college, I went to work there and I was very fortunate to land a job in the West Wing. And I worked uh, in an office where the gardener, the head gardener kept coming in and out because the gentleman I worked for was involved in upgrading everything. It was the, It was 1981. And so I, I should preface this remarks by saying the story really began in 1961 when Bunny Mellon was brought to the White House by JFK and Jackie to create the Rose Garden. And she brought a gardener with her. His name was Irvin Williams. 
and Mr. Williams was at her side while she created the Rose Garden and many gardens thereafter. And then he stayed at the White House until like 2009. But oh, wow. so they, yeah, they came in. Yeah, he was in his early 80s when he wow, left. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. And so he um, came in 61, 20 years later, when we arrived, he was still there. So he's the gardener that I met in that was coming in and out of my offices. And when I realized that I, we became fast friends and he was like a grandfather type image. And he answered all my questions, taught me a lot about White House history. Um, and he always ended all of his sentences for the most part with, this was the work of Mrs. Paul Mellon. So he gave me a real education on Mrs. Mellon back in the eighties. She was still involved at the White House then, um, remotely. That, that is fantastic. I can't even imagine like what a dream it would be to be in the White House and to learn from people in the White House. I went, I visited one time. And I'd love to go back soon, of course, but I did just a tour and I, I could have literally lived in those rooms and never gotten bored. It was, it's incredible. It, it really, it really is. I mean, you just think about all the history that went on there. It's just, yeah. And it's a really fast paced environment. So if you like a lot of action, it's a place for you. And there's a lot of variety. One day is never the same. And um, it's just a lot of fun. Oh, I learned I so much. <laughs> I bet. How amazing. So I've never done an episode on Bunny Mellon, which is crazy, honestly, at this point that I still have not. But I'm so glad you're here. So will you tell us just a little bit about her backstory, her life and career? Just a few things about her. Okay. Bunny's story is really a great American story. She was an East Coast girl. As am I. She was born in New York City in 1910 and then grew up in Princeton, New Jersey, and uh, where her father built a very large house and she watched. She uh, said she was close to her father, but they didn't have a lot of conversations. But Bunny watched and followed the gardeners and observed. And that's so she learned a lot more is taught than caught. And in the summer times, she would go and spend uh, about six weeks or so with her grandparents in uh, New Hampshire and in Massachusetts, and especially her grandfather. She loved her grandfather, and he really instilled within her a deep love of country and patriotism. He was a gingham manufacturer, and so that's why you see a lot of gingham in her interiors and things, because she was always bringing her family heritage into her work. And so her father, her grandfather is Arthur Lowe, and she just adored him. They wrote a lot of letters, and he had a wonderful influence in her life. And so then she came to Middleburg, Virginia, which is near where I live. She wanted to go to school there, so she went to Foxcroft School and excelled there. That's where the girls would sleep outside on the porches to stay healthy, studied equestrianism and things like that. And then she was married to uh, a man named Stacy Lloyd. Her goal in life was to be like the state and art director, but she wasn't allowed to go to college. And back in that, her father told her that she needed to find a husband and get married. And so he gave her a list and said, pick one. And so she, <laughs> she ended up marrying this guy named Stacy Lloyd from Philadelphia. And they settled in um, Millwood, Virginia. And then, then the war came, World War II. And then they were they divorced. They had two children. And then she married Paul Mellon. And Paul Mellon is his, his father was Andrew Mellon, who created the National Gallery of Art and, and gave that as a gift to the nation. So she comes from this, this wonderful, rich 
legacy of giving to America, love of country. And I just love that about her. And so then as time went on, she she gardened since the time she was seven years old is what she told me. And then when she got to know Jackie and they became good friends, they were like 19 years apart, but they were great friends until Jackie passed away. But it was during that time that JFK asked her to create the Rose Garden for him at the White House. So she also, we'll, we'll definitely get to the Rose Garden, but I had a question because I read in your book, I saw just all the connections that she made that were amazing. And not, not just the Kennedys, some incredible people. So can you tell oh. the audience a few of those connections that she worked with? Oh, yes, yes. Well, um, when she was a young woman, she bartered dresses with a fashion designer at the time named Hattie Carnegie, and which is interesting. She made a garden for Hattie, and Hattie gave her clothes in return. And then um, <laughs> it's really funny because she got to know Johnny Schlumberger, the, the French jeweler, mm-hmm. who also worked at Tiffany's, and he told her that she didn't dress well back then. He's like, Bunny, you really need to work, you know, work on your attire here. So he took her to Paris and introduced her to Cristobal Balenciaga there. And Cristobal Balenciaga then dressed her for many years and all of her clothes. That's just how it was done. And, and then he decided to retire. And then one day he walked her across the street and introduced her to Hubert de Givenchy, who had opened his new house there right across the street. And, and he, said, Bunny, Hubert will now dress you. And so I also got to meet uh, Mr. Givenchy and his partner, Philippe Benet. They were the most gracious, wonderful men I think I've ever met. Uh, Givenchy told me that he was afraid that in the beginning that, you know, she wouldn't be comfortable with him. But he said they got along really well. And he uh, said that he would often get to know his clients really well because he would do the fittings for them. He wouldn't send his staff in. And he said with Bunny, he said, we had so much in common. So they, while he was in there with the pins and she was standing, getting the hem done, they would talk and they would go off on all these little rabbit trails about art and gardens and architecture. And he would, I remember him chuckling and saying, after a while, she would say, Hubert, get back to the hem. (laughs) (laughs) Here. (laughs) I love that. They became really great friends. So, um, there were a lot of people. She was just like, you know, the cream of the crop. But you know what? She had a really few close friends, Jackie and Aubert and Philippe, I would say. And but she was very private and not interested in the social circuit. She had to go and and be Mrs. Paul Mellon, especially at the National Gallery of Art, because he was the sponsor of it. And so she had to go and she did a lot of the events there and she enjoyed that part of it. But she was really great at afterwards staying back and went back to all the help and would go around and thank everyone personally for coming. And then she wouldn't really wanted to go party with them afterwards instead <laughs> of uh, elitist. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. She sounds like an incredible woman. I know. I know. I That's one reason I was just so captivated. I mean, Mr. Williams, from everything he said all those years, and then when I met her, I, it was like unbelievable. It was like it. a... Always cast, and she it was just magical to me. Um, she had done so much, and that's one reason I got an interest in writing the gardens of Bunny Mellon. So I was looking for the Rose Garden archives and found that they were not in Washington, D.C., they were out at Bunny's 
her own personal garden library out in Upperville, Virginia. So the rules at the time, this was like 2009, she was 99 years old. The rules were write a letter to her at her library and telling her what you wanted. So I did, and I wrote an, an, a little note and said I would like asking to see the Rose Garden archives and mailed it on a Monday. And the next day, the librarian called me, <laughs> not even like 24 hours later. And I knew we were lived close, but not that close. But anyway, he said that, yes, I was welcome to come see the archives, but most importantly, she wanted to meet me. And I, I remember saying, why? <laughs> <laughs> And, um, you know, at first it was like, you think, oh, am I in trouble? You know, why, what did I do? <laughs> and, um, so anyway, I ended up out there and, uh, when I first met her, you know, she was just very casually, she had her kids, tennis shoes. I mean, I was just so comfortable with her and she had this honey, sweet voice and this sweet, sweet smile. I just love being around her. So we first sat there in front of that immense Rothko you see pictures of in her library for a couple hours. And um, I was afraid, I mean, I wasn't interviewing her because I wasn't planning to write a book. So I was like, well, I got to have some questions to ask her, but I was afraid of what she would ask me. And sure, I was afraid she was going to ask me about working in the White House because I'd worked for a Republican. And I knew oh, she yeah. Democrats. Yes. <laughs> Even though Mr. Mellon was a Republican. So I, I of course I overthink everything. And um so sure enough, she she turned to me. We uh she had her Coke and I had her some ice water and she said, Now Linda, you worked in the White House. And I said, Oh, here we go. <laughs> You're getting ready for it. <laughs> yeah. And there's these little French chairs, and I remember sitting up really straight on this little chair and looking her in the eye, you know, and she said, Which president did you work for? And I said, Mrs. Mellon, I work for Ronald Reagan. And she threw her arms wide and she said, oh, Ronnie was my second favorite president, but Jack was my first. Oh, <laughs> how wonderful. I know. It was so dear. And then we were just off and running. And um, one of the questions I asked her, I, only, I didn't ask many questions. She did most of the talking. I just mostly listened. And we were there to talk about gardening at the White House. But I asked her, I said, what is your favorite color? And she said, Linda, that is not important. And I said, <laughs> well, I'd really like to know. I'd heard it was blue. And but I, I mean, color is important to me. So I said, uh, I would I'd really like to know. And she said, all right, blue, all shades of blue. <laughs> I love it. I know. That's really come in handy over the years, uh, knowing that. <laughs> I bet. That's amazing. Wow. Wow. What an awesome opportunity that you got to meet and spend so much time oh, with her. It's incredible. I know. And it wasn't planned. It just happened. It was, and that's what she, that was one of her favorite words, Allison, happenstance, how in life things just happen, happenstance. So I love that. Wow. It was all happenstance. Yeah. That's kind of weird that you just said that. Cause I actually used that in a phone conversation earlier this morning and I never used that word. And then you just said it. So that's kind of oh, funny. Maybe that's, that's my new word too. <laughs> I think, I hope it is. It's a good word. It is. Um, okay. Well, let's get to talking about more about the Rose Garden then. Um, okay. okay. So I read in your book, which I never knew this, that it was kind of inspired by the gardens of Versailles a little bit in their from their trip to in 1961, which I'm going to Versailles for the first time in a couple months. And I'm so excited knowing that now even more so. So can you talk about just the inspiration, the contacting Bunny Mellon about it, how it went down, all the things? 
Yes, yes. So the, the Kennedys went on their first European tour out into the world. It was the end of May to August 1961. And they went to Versailles and, and de Gaulle entertained them in grand style for several days. I think it was last day. There was a great dinner and then they watched a ballet. Jackie wore this beautiful dress that Givenchy had made for her. Now she chose to dress, you know, with American designers, but Givenchy had been her designer and she decided that she was going to wear his dress, his design, as a tribute to the French since they were there and, you know, she loved France. So after all of the activities of the evening, they were back in the cars, so it's dark and the buildings are bathed in this soft filter light, the fountains are going and they drive over by these fountains and gardens and they get out and they walk across and just take in the, it's like a haunting really emotional scene then they they walked again to another place and at one point JFK held Jackie's arm you know he's start, starting to feel really romantic with her mm-hmm. and held her arm and you could tell he was struck um by this society who traveled with the Kennedys wrote about all these lovely little details um, way back then. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So JFK came home and realized that what was at the White House just wasn't what he wanted. He was really impressed with the the way de Gaulle had wrapped himself in his countrymen, the French culture. And so that's what JFK wanted. So it was, so that was like May, June, and it was early August. Also, interestingly enough, August 7th is the day that JFK signed legislation creating the Cape Cod National Seashore. So he was up there at the Cape. Uh, He signed it in the Oval Office, but then he was up at the Cape with his family and they sailed down to the Mellon's home in Osterville for a picnic. They all love to picnic a lot. And it was at this picnic that Bunny said he barely got off the boat and he sat down with her and asked her to, to make him a garden. And at first she was really surprised, but Jackie had phoned her ahead and said, Jack's going to ask you something. Please say yes. <laughs> so he put forth this idea for this garden and she told him she would think about it. But this is what he wanted for the garden. He wanted it to be like an outdoor office space so that he could have events out of doors. You know, the Kennedys love to be outside. So he wanted it to be that. And he wanted there to be an open area that about a thousand people could meet. He wanted a new set of steps, but he wanted them to be very democratic steps, whereas it was more like a stage with a platform in the middle so that whoever he was honoring could um, stand above him and then he would be more on the level with the people. He thought about these things. And then also when they would have bill signings, the platform was large enough to put a little table or things like that. So he really wanted new steps. And then he asked for a lot of color in the garden 
But all in all, he said he wanted to be an American garden. And he wanted it to be in the traditions of Washington and Jefferson. So that's kind of where a lot of it came from. Now, at the same time, Jackie was doing her restoration in the house. So what Mrs. Mellon did, she embraced the George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, and James Monroe, who his French furniture was in the White House, or they were looking, found some and recreating it. She brought that into the garden. So it's so cool because the lawn is very much like a bowling green. George Washington had one at Mount Vernon. Monroe had one at his house in Charlottesville. It's called the Highlands now. And so that is representative of Washington. Now, Jefferson loved crab apples and he had a garden book. He wrote, he'd written his own garden book and he loved to garden. And so he'd written in there as one of his favorite trees was the crab apple tree. And the trees are really important there in D.C. because D.C. is on a swamp. And trees are good for stabilizing swampy areas, which Versailles is also. And I can tell you more about that later for when you go, what to see and some people. I would love that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I have it all set up for you. So that's what the crab apples came in because they, they hearkened back to Thomas Jefferson. So that was why they were important. The Solangianus, the magnolia she found in the corners, she found nearby. They just put in a new sewage system that Mr. Williams knew about. JFK did not want to spend a lot of money, so they went around looking for trees in D.C. (laughs) and then found magnolia. So the design was really historical. The Kennedys loved history, whereas they respected the traditions of the past. It needed to function for today, so hence the big spacious area and that sort of thing. So Bunny's process is basically this. She went and found Mr. Williams. She found a gardener. She also called on a friend, Perry Wheeler, who was a landscape architect in nearby Georgetown. And he came with her to the White House and they sat under Andrew Jackson's magnolia tree and looked at the garden, the site to take it all in. She's looking for climate, light, space, things like that. And JFK came bounding across the lawn and said, Bunny, do you have any plans? Do you have any ideas? And she's like, not yet. (laughs) And it's because she always needed an inspiration. She always had to have something that triggered her imagination. Mm -hmm. And so that didn't come to her until October. And she was walking down the streets in New York City and she was walking by the Frick Museum and saw these magnolias against this pink stone. And all of a sudden it just clicked. And she said, that's it. Hence, so that's where the idea for the magnolia came from. Um, During the site visit, she and Mr. Wheeler decided that the White House was so stark, all the white, so stark, and they wanted to soften it. So when she saw these magnolias, she knew they would soften it. And the other thing about the magnolias is, other than the fact that they were free, um, (laughs) is she, she chose them not for their blossoms. Most people think you choose a tree for the blossoms. She didn't. She loved the, the silvery gray color of the bark and the form mm-hmm. of, and the way the branches, you know, fanned out. She loved that. The nod to Monroe was the French manner of the design. It's really created, it's like the garden is like one of the gardens you'll see at Versailles, the Bosquets. There's smaller gardens. You'll see the long avenue, the long view that uh, his name is Andre Lenoc created there. But then he had all these smaller garden spaces they called bousquets, 
and each one was different and had a different theme. So the Rose Garden is very much like one of Lenotte's bosquets at Versailles. Wow. And it has the borders that have the French geometric part. The, the old French classic gardens always look to be orderly and to have symmetry. So the symmetry came in way the plants were planted in such an orderly fashion. And, but it even got down to the actual leaf. When you look at leaves, the symmetry on the veins of the leaf, you can see how it all is symmetrical. And so that was important too. Bunny always went down to the tiniest detail. In France, they call them broderies, the flower beds, and, and it's the array of flowers. JFK wanted lots of flowers and bold colors. That's not Bunny's way, but she only did gardens for her friends. And whenever she did, she felt a person who made their own garden should make it for themselves. So any bunch she made a garden for, she didn't make it what she thought it should be. She made it for them. Her garden was very different. The colors much softer, but he wanted bold colors. So that's what, that's what he got. Yeah. A lot of boxwood, very French and the, and the geometric shapes. She also, um, and, oh yeah. And then the diamonds you see in the, in the plans, they are a grayish Santalina that frame their Catherine crab apples. And, or they were when she planted them. And the diamonds also very French. They always included diamonds in their, the French did in their designs. I noticed that throughout your book, actually, when I was looking, I, I saw the similarities between the two. And that's something about your book too, that's so beautiful, is that you laid out all the different regions and places that she designed and every single page I was, actually my husband was looking at it over my shoulder and we were like oh my gosh I want to be right there oh my gosh look at that slice of heaven like it's just so beautifully laid out and clearly she had such an eye for design and beauty in every way and I just love what you've shared with me today the story of a woman who was married to a very wealthy successful man but she carved out her own path and did her own thing something that she believed in and loved and a passion of hers and I love that about her for sure. And I think it's important that to emphasize too, and I love this about Bunny, is that her family hired gardeners. I mean, they were the hired help, but that didn't matter to her. She 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 sought an occupation what her family considered the hired help, and so they were a bit mystified by that. But she was true to herself. She knew that's what she loved, and this whole wonderful world opened up to her because of that. So, yeah. so fantastic. I love it so much. Thank you so much for coming on today. This has been fantastic. Everybody, you need this book. It is one of the most beautiful books I've ever seen, truly. So I'm going to put a direct link to purchase in the description of this episode. Get your own copy. And again, Linda, thank you so much. This has just been wonderful. Thank you, Allison. And I'll look forward to hearing more of your episodes. Thank you so much. That's all I've got for you today. If you enjoyed the episode, please rate it five stars and write a positive written review on Apple Podcast. It helps me so much. I know I say it so much that you guys are probably tired of me saying it, but it really does help the podcast kind of get in front of other people and for them to be able to see it, the more ratings I get. So I would really appreciate you taking the time to do that. Like I said, I'm going to link Lewis Bayard's book, Jackie and Me. Get that one to follow along with Dr. Molina and I. And I'm going to link, of course, Linda's book, The Gardens of Bunny Melon. And I'm telling you, it is a beautiful book. You do not want to miss out on this one. So I'm going to link that in the description of this episode as well. Check out all my recommendations links, my merch shop, all the things in the descriptions of this episode. Make sure you're subscribed to our newsletter. Comes out bi-weekly. Lots of cool stuff in there. And that's all I've got. I'll talk to you soon. Come on and vote for Kennedy. Vote for Kennedy. Keep America strong. Kennedy, he just keeps rolling up. Kennedy, he just keeps rolling up. Kennedy, he just keeps rolling up.
this is Peter. And this is Tom. We want to tell you guys a little bit about our podcast. Tom and I met in college, became best friends, and then teachers almost 20 years ago. Sometimes school just does not allow us to elaborate on the topics that we find interesting, like the real shark attacks that inspired the movie Jaws, or the real historical context to Indiana Jones artifacts. Where does cereal come from? Or are zombies real? Does Ben Franklin really deserve to be on a $100 bill? On our podcast, just like in our class, there are no stupid questions. Just two friends having a lighthearted conversation about history, pop culture, and the context of current events. Listen to History Teachers Talking Podcast from Evergreen Network, anywhere you get your podcasts.